0: My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor and one of the teaching pastors here at Crossbridge. And I am, have the privilege today of just wrapping up this series called All In. And I have really enjoyed this series. And I want you to understand and know and trust that uh, your staff here and leadership knows what it means. We are committed to being all in. And whenever anybody uh, decides to make a blizzard run and or a handles run, we are all in all the time here. I think we, Jordan, how many meetings do we have this week over ice cream? Two or three? Anyway, yeah, we're, we're committed. So we know a thing or two about being all in, but in all seriousness, uh, man, I have loved this series. It's challenged me as we've looked at, you know, what it means for us as Christ followers to be all in, to take this thing seriously and, and, and really dive into what it means to follow Jesus with all of our heart. And the very first week, Kim kicked us off talking about how we are all invited, each and every one of us, no matter what our past is, no matter what we've done, that we are invited to the throne room. We are invited to have a relationship with Jesus. And she talked about this woman who had a past. One who, you know, we, we probably wouldn't think, you know, that's the way to, to live our lives. And, and she goes into a room with, with Jesus, with all these religious elite, these leaders there, who look down upon her. But yet Jesus welcomes her in, and she cries and, and weeps and, and, and washes his feet with her hair. And the religious leaders are just offended by this, but Jesus invited her into a kind of a relationship like none other. It's a beautiful picture of what it means to be invited. And then the second week, Jordan talked about being invested. And, and man, how we have got to be invested. How we have got to, to not be on the sidelines. You know, football season's kicking off right now. And, and it's very easy. You know, we'd love to be in the stands and cheering everything on. But the action is on the field. And if we're going to be invested, if we're going to do something amazing for Jesus, we've got to be in the game. Not just sitting on the sidelines, letting everybody else do everything. With our time, with our finances, we've got to be invested in what is happening. And then last week, Jordan talked about how we are invaluable. And I love this picture because I think in our culture and our society today, our identity is wrapped up in so many things. And, and, and our kids and my grandkids and, and even ourselves, man, we chase things to, to make, to, to just to prove our identity. And our identity is in one thing and one thing alone, and that's in Jesus, and so, if you haven't caught all these series, I would just I'd recommend you going back and just going to our YouTube channel and Facebook, wherever, and just catching up on this because it's been an amazing thing. Knowing that we are loved, that we are invaluable, and that leads us to today that we're going to be talking about being an influencer, that that we have we have some influence in our lives, and and you know this word means something a little bit different now in this culture than what it did a couple decades ago. And so, I, what I did is I just wanted to do some research on what an influencer actually is. And so I want to give you a, a definition according to the Internet, all right? An influencer is someone who has the power to affect purchasing decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, position, or relationship with his or her audience. Now, a lot of these influencers today, and if you talk to some kids, they'll tell you, I would love to be a YouTube influencer. I would love to be an Instagram YouTube uh, influencer. They want to be influencers because they basically just live their best life and, and don't do anything except promote these products and things like that. And so I went on this whole rabbit hole as I was, I was studying for this whole thing about influencers, and there's all kinds of influencers. There's micro-influencers. There's nano-influencers. There's macro-influencers. There's mega-influencers. These people have all these following on social media and then they promote products and things, and that's how they make a living. And so we got talking about this actually at lunch one day. And, and I said, I actually researched the number one TikTok influencer today. At least it was when I researched this. And his name, and I'm probably going to mess this up, is Kabi Lame. Okay? And he was um, working as a waiter and also in a factory job before COVID. then COVID hit, and he lost both of those jobs. So he started playing around with TikTok. Today he has 150 million followers. And what he does, you maybe you've seen him. I've seen him all kinds. I didn't know what his name was. But he basically shows these life hacks of people. And then he makes fun of them. And basically, he doesn't say anything. He just shows a, a normal way of doing something. And he does this. 150 million followers. Last year, he made $10 million doing that. Sign me up for being an influencer. All right. You know, it's just crazy. How many of you would say that you are an influencer? Probably not many of us. We think, you know, we don't have we don't have those kind of followings and things like that. We don't have 150 million followers. But let's face it: those of us who are in social media and kind of play with this kind of stuff, we would we'll post something or we'll say something or comment something, and then don't we all go back and see how many likes we have, or how many people have commented on something that we have posted? Because you know, we just kind of want to see: is, is people are people following me? Are are they, are they paying attention to, to what I'm saying? Am I being an influence at all? You know, am I actually being funny? Our post yesterday, I think Jordan posted, I don't know how many comments we got about, you know, what restaurant you wanted to throw out, you know? It, it, it's, true. it's just something about us that we want to be in, involved in some of that. And whether we know it or not, we are influential in many, many ways. And God says that we are invaluable, like we talked about last week which means we do have influence, and our influence actually matters. And we have to see ourselves as God sees us, not only as invaluable, as an influencer in our culture, because we are called to make a difference. We are called to stand out. We are called to, to, to influence other people towards this, this amazing God that we serve. And, I, and, and there's this word we, we talk about uh, of evangelism. And, and, and though that freaks some people out. Say, you know what, we are supposed to be evangelists. And we think, we think of these TV guys that we, you know, we don't want any part of that. Or we see someone on a street corner with this microphone and, and telling everybody they're going to be going to hell. And you think, oh, I don't want to be any part of that either. Or someone holding up a sign somewhere and parading around. And you think, ah, man, if that's what that's all about. And I don't think that's the intent whatsoever that God has for each and every one of us. That we are called to, to be influencers. We are called to point people to this Jesus that we follow. And Jesus actually talks about this himself in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. And here's what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And I just want you to have that picture. But I want to go back and I want to give you a statement today that, that, that we are going to just camp out on. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this statement. Okay? It's this, is that you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, or what one act of love might change someone's life. How that that one act of encouragement, that one statement that you make, that one relationship that you build, the one act of love you have, could change that person's life forever. And then Jesus goes on and says that you are the salt and you are the light of the earth. That we are supposed to stand out. We are supposed to give this earth flavor We are are supposed to preserve things. We are supposed to be there and and making a difference in other people's lives. What we are here to do is usher in the kingdom of heaven. We are supposed to make earth a little bit more like what heaven is. And we could use some of that today, couldn't we? You know, we make things better. Our surroundings are better. He goes on in verse 14 and says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Hidden. And I love this picture. And One of my favorite places to go is when we're traveling. is coming back. And if you've ever been through Cincinnati at night, and you come back from Kentucky, and you're kind of up on a hill, and you see Cincinnati as you come over this hill, and there's these bridges going over the river, and you see the stadiums if they're lit up, and all the city. And you think, man, that is just gorgeous. And the picture Jesus is painting here for us is that's how we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be this bright spot, this thing that just looks amazing. He goes on and says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. If you light a lamp in the house, if you light a lamp, it's to give you light, to let you know where you're going. And, and the last thing you do is kind of hide it. But I think so many times that we, 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 we take our lives and we actually do hide it because maybe we're ashamed. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to do with this whole thing. But we are to be a light. He, say, he says, instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That we are supposed to be the one that gives light to other people in our, in our lives. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are the light. And and, and the way that we live, it's not just about the the things that we do, but the way that we treat people, the way that we love people, the way that we come alongside people, the way that we care for each other. Needs to be one that stands out and they say, why are they doing that? Why are they living that way? The early church was this way. The way they love, the way they they took care of each other, the way they they came alongside each other, people on the outside said, I don't know what that whole thing is about, but man, the way they love is incredible. What if we could get back to that kind of statements? You may be sitting out here and say, yeah, but Brad, you know what? I don't have a platform. I don't have this huge following on, on any of my social media or anything like that, you know? I don't have 150 million viewers. I'm not a pastor that gets to stand up on a stage you know, on, on a Sunday and, and talk about this whole thing. I'm not an athlete that has all these people to follow and, and, and I have interviews after the games and things and I get to say something. I'm not a politician. No, let's not talk about politicians. <laughs> I, I, I'm not an entertainer that has the same kind of platform. You know, it's just, it's just little old me. But if you really think about people with those kind of platforms, we can all name a pastor, an athlete, an entertainer, that has let us down, that they've said something, but yet their actions don't back it up and, and they become hypocritical and they actually hurt the cause more than anything. And then you probably also know athletes or, or, or entertainers or, or pastors who just quietly go about in the way that they live and you think, man, that's the way that we need to be. They don't, have, they don't, they don't boast about this big platform. They just go out and live their life and love on people and, and do amazing things. And you have that same kind of influence in the group that you are around. These small circles of influence. And I'm telling you, life and relationship is so crucial. We, we teach all the time around here. We preach all the time that, man, we've got to have these relationships. If you're going to speak life into people, you have to have a relationship with them. It's just not about a platform where you get up here and just talk about it. It's about getting into the messy, getting into the, into the, into the trenches with people. I'm building relationships with them. Everything done in relationship. And I would argue doing life in relationship is so much better than ever having any kind of platform and standing out. To the point that I would actually argue that people with large platforms sometimes are more instigators than influencers. And that includes pastors. There's something about just stirring the pot and, and, and just getting everybody riled up or, or, or getting a group of people in, in, in thinking the way that you are thinking and, and gathering together. That's not what it's about. It's always about people first. And as, as I look at Jesus' life in the New Testament, and I look at all the times that he had, had interactions with people where he either called them out or, or, or had situations or he challenged them. It was always in relationship. It was always one-on-one. It was in a way... And it, And I challenge people this all the time, and I haven't been proven wrong yet, so we'll see what happens. But I would challenge you to go through through Jesus' stories and look at the interactions with his people. And if he ever had to choose between a person and the law, he always chose the person. He always chose the relationship over the law. It's an amazing thing. And so I had to ask myself, and I'm going to ask you the same question this week Am I an instigator? Or am I an influencer? And so the next time I am, on, I am or you are on social media and you're, and you're going to comment on something, you're going to, to post something, I, I, want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself some questions. Is what I'm going to say, is what I'm going to post, is it going to bring people together? Is it going be, be, to bring people closer together or is it going to divide them? But what is my posture? What am I trying to accomplish in this time with what I am writing, what I am communicating, what I am putting out there? for the people that I have influence over. It has never been easier than now to have a platform, whether you know it or not. Granted, it may not be 150 million people, but there's enough people out there watching you and following you and seeing what you look like as a Jesus follower. What is my posture? Why is it that, why am I engaging here? And and Bruce, several years ago, made this comment from the stage up here. He said, are you trying to make a point, or are you trying to make a difference? And I tell you, that was challenging to me. And ever since then, I have always asked myself in these situations, am I trying to make a point, or am I trying to make a difference? And we might get some pushback and say, you know, what I'm doing, I'm just posting truth. It's just truth. What I'm saying is is actually truth. But is your truth going to heal or is it going to hurt? From a message not too long ago that Jordan gave. These things have influence, as we're talking about, even over me today. As I have to set and check my posture and think of why am I doing what am I doing? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Am I being salt and light? Am I entering into a relationship with people to influence them? Am I entering into a relationship to see where they're coming from, where I can have a conversation and see their heart? And I may vehemently disagree with them, but I can come alongside them and we start wrestling with some of these tough issues because we're in relationship and we're into the mess with everybody. And we see this person or we see this group of people as invaluable and made in the image of God. If we can just start doing that. And I want to ask yourself, and I'm kind of beating up on this whole social media thing today, but has one of your posts on social media ever changed someone's mind? Something you've stood up for, something that you have done out there, and you said, you know, this is, this is the way it ought to be, and, and has it ever really, have you ever had somebody come and say, i changed my mind? Or have you just gathered like-minded people, and you start liking the comments, and you look at the comments, and they, amen, yeah, go, and you've lost influence. You've made a point, but you're not making a difference. Or when was the last time a post on social media actually changed your position? That you read something and said, oh, I never thought of that before. I'm going to change my whole theory on this thing. Or did it just make you dig your heels in? Are we being salt and light? And I'm just asking these questions. I'm just kind of challenging this a little bit because I want to check our motivations. I want to check our hearts. Is there a better way for us to engage? Because I think some of this is, is done because, you know, we do want to make a difference. We want, do want to have influence. But is it really doing what we want it to do? And I'm telling you, you have more influence than you can imagine. And you can lose influence in a second. I would rather not lose influence so I can get in somebody in a relationship, in a one-on-one situation. I can hear their heart. They can hear my heart. And we can have a conversation about what we disagree on and, and, and where we are. Because you have no idea what one encouraging word, what one positive conversation, what one act of love, how it can change the course of someone's life. And we've all experienced this because we've had teachers, we've had family members, we've had coaches that have made a difference in all of our lives that we can look back on and say, yeah, they made a difference. They influenced me. You know, and, and when we do coaches, I ask all our coaches almost every coach meeting that I do, and I want to ask you the same, very same question. How many people here played youth sports or high school sports, college sports, anybody played sports of some kind, you know, and you all had coaches, right? And my guess is there's some time in, in your life that you had a coach that you just didn't really care for. Maybe a little too aggressive, didn't like the way he, he, he did things. And, and I can remember mine. It was when I was 10 or 11 years old and, and I was playing Little League baseball. And uh, it, it, he was a challenge. <laughs> and I was playing third base, warming up on third base one time. And he hits me this line drive on a, and, and it jammed my, my glove and it jammed my finger. It actually broke my thumb over here. And I was crying, you know, and he told me to suck it up, rub dirt on it like all of us good boomers do. And, you know, and, uh, and so here I am, and it's still hurting like a son of a gun, you know, and I had batting practice after that, and he thought he was going to teach me a lesson. I'm standing up here at the plate, and I'm ready to bat, and he throws a ball as hard as he can, and it hits me right in the side of the head and knocks me on the ground. And I can tell you what the dirt felt like. I can tell you what the sky looked like. I can tell you what it smelled like that day 50 years ago. I quit playing Little League because of that. And then in high school, I had a tennis coach when I was playing high school tennis, and, and uh, a student teacher from Hawaii who came in, a fantastic tennis player, and man taught us not only the game of tennis, but he would sit with us afterwards, and he would ask us what's going on in our lives, and we had this, this relationship that was amazing. And he influenced me to this day. And I asked our coaches, what kind of coach do you want to be remembered for 50 years from now? And it's the same with us in our sphere of influence everywhere we go. We have an opportunity to build into people. How do you want to be remembered as a Jesus follower 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now? As people look back at you and say, I was influenced by them. And there's been all kinds of examples in in my own life about this. When Barb and I first got married, you know, we were, had a blended family. We had these five kids, and we knew that we didn't want to blow up another marriage. And, and we decided we're going to go to church. And I and, and I remember this friend of mine in high school, who had influenced me on some of the, uh, in, in so many ways. And so I called him up and said, well, "Where are you going to church now?" And so we started going to church there. And, and and we got involved in that church, and and it wasn't too long after that, a few years, and and. One of the leadership, one of the elders came to us, Barb and I, at, at Pizza Hut, you know, that's where you have all your good meetings. You went to Pizza Hut, and they said, you know, we're starting this, this new basketball program called Upward, and we think you guys would be great to run it. And we were too stupid to say no, because we just thought, you know, if leadership asked you to do something, you just did it, so we did it. Because they saw something in us, and, and it influenced us to, to change, and, and, and we did something, and it, it was the, changed the course of where we were. A few years after that, Barb and I were at a, a conference in Orlando, Florida, and, and we just felt the call of God in our lives, and I felt like God was calling me into, out of the, the, the occupation I was to go into full-time ministry, and I came back to my pastor at the time. His name was Jeff Getz, and I said, Jeff, I said, I don't know what this means. I don't know. I'm just telling you that God, I think God wants me to go full-time into ministry, and he said, well, if you're going to go full-time in ministry, you're going to do it here, and they made me a position, Guy that believed in me, changed the course of my life. Time went on, and, and it was time for us to move on from that ministry position, and we went into another ministry position, and then we were going to look for a new, a, a new church. And it was the first, Jan, Jan, January, first Sunday in January in 2006, and we walked in the YMCA at Crossbridge Community Church. One of the reasons we walked into there is because we said we will never have to run a sports program there because they're portable. And Dan Shitwood told us, he sat and talked about the mission and vision of Crossbridge Community Church. And I remember looking at Barb and said, we are home. This is the place, because we had been looking for several months. And it wasn't too long after that that Dan came up to me and said, I want you to preach a sermon on Sunday. And I kind of laughed at him. But he saw something, and he challenged me. And I could go on and on with our own staff from Bruce to Jordan, influencing me with the kind of books that I read. Our whole staff has influenced me in all kinds of ways. And every time that these just little things that we had these conversations on, building relationships with, changed the course and direction of who we are. I'm telling you, it makes an unbelievable difference. You may not see it. And I want you to understand this about influence, is that influence isn't always obvious or instant. Influence is not always obvious or instant. As we look back and I, and I think of the people who have influenced me over my lives, over my life, many of them didn't see anything that the outcome of it. And you're sitting here and you're investing yourselves in bridge kids, you're investing yourselves in a youth, you're investing yourselves by coaching a C3 sports team. And you're around these children, you're around these parents, and you're you're much more of an influence than you can ever imagine. And you may never, ever see it. It may not happen overnight, but maybe decades down the road, they're going to remember you as a coach. They're going to remember you as a person. They're going to remember you as a coworker who love like nothing else. And you've influenced them into a better way of living, to understanding who this amazing God is that we serve. So I want to share, you, share a, a piece of Scripture about some influencing people that Jesus meets. It's in John chapter 4. Verse 4, and it says here, now he had to go through Samaria, which isn't true at all. Most Jews would go around Samaria because the Samaritans and Jews hated each other. They would take an extra day if they had to just to get around Samaria. So, so here he is, Jesus going through Samaria because he wasn't going to avoid. A lot of people would avoid those kind of people, would avoid those kind of, kind of situations because avoidance isn't being influential. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of gr- ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tried, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And at noon, there should be nobody at the well. But there so happens when a woman comes walking up because she's embarrassed about her past. She's embarrassed about She doesn't want to be there when anybody else is there because everybody else would draw water in the morning. But she makes sure that she doesn't go in the mornings because she doesn't want to be faced by these other people who are judgmental, who are critical of her, who talk about her behind her back. So she goes. says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus is crossing all kinds of racial, he is crossing all kinds of gender biases at this point. This is not done in this culture. It is not done in this society. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Don't miss this. What Jesus is doing is entering into a conversation with this woman. He's entering it in, in her level so that he can have a relationship with her, so he can speak truth and life into her life. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And there's something about the way Jesus says this. That the woman is drawn in to the point that she wants what Jesus has. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus has been so tender and so loving with her at this point that now he can go into, because he's built this relationship, now he can go into what we would maybe call a confrontation. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is just quite true. And she says, sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. She's having this conversation. Jesus has known who she is all the time. And she now realizes that Jesus knows exactly who I am. I know who I am. Jesus knows who I am. And something about the love, the way that he engages her, the way that he interacts with her doesn't offend her, but brings her in, so she wants to know. Because she's so used to being outcast. She's so used to being shunned. She's so used to having people talk about her behind her back. And here is this person who has known my past all along. I thought I was hiding it from him, but I was not, obviously. And there's something special about him. The way he's cared for me, the way he has loved me in this situation... I've got to know who this is. He sees her as a child of God, invaluable in his sight. And she starts putting the pieces all together and says this, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the first person That Jesus directly tells that he is the Messiah. What an interaction. What an amazing story we are giving here of how Jesus works in a relationship to restore somebody. And then the disciples come back and they are absolutely shocked that he's sitting here talking to a woman, a Samaritan woman. It goes on and says, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So they came out of the town and made their way toward him. One person in that town made an impact. One unlikely influencer made an incredible impact. With all of her past, with all the ugliness, everything that's happening back there, she gets a whole town to come out and see this Jesus. And the story goes on. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers because of this influencer. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Wow. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come back. We're going to take communion here as a family, as a church here in just a little bit. But I want to give you three takeaways from this story. And the first one is this. Your story gives you influence. Your past does not disqualify you. All the hurts, all the troubles, all the stuff that you have been through, all the mistakes, all the bad choices doesn't disqualify you from having influence. As a matter of fact, it probably helps your influence because there's somebody else that has gone through the same kind of stuff. There's somebody else that you can speak into their lives because of what you have gone through, what you have experienced. Your story gives you influence. The second thing is this. You don't have to have it all together to influence someone towards Jesus. You notice that this woman did not wait she just went back, and she, she, she had this relationship, this amazing situation with Jesus, and she goes back into town. She didn't wait to get it all together. She didn't wait to clean up her act. We don't even know if she, she stopped living with this guy. All she did was go back and say, you've got to come and see this Jesus because it's absolutely amazing. Could it be the Messiah? And lastly, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't have to sit in Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. All you need to do is let your light shine and be salty in a good way. That's who we're called to be. That's who we are as Jesus followers. We are supposed to bring the kingdom down to earth. We are supposed to be heaven on earth make a difference in people's lives. They look at us and say, man, I don't know if I believe that whole God thing. I don't know if I believe that whole Jesus thing. But if that's the way they love each other, if that's the way they treat each other, maybe I should be in. Powerful stuff. What if we get back to loving God and loving people like we're supposed to? We're going to take communion here And I want to remind you one last time that you have no idea how one conversation, one word of encouragement, or one act of love might, how it might change someone's life. So as we come and get the elements here in just a second, I want you to take them back to your seat. We'll take communion together. But when you come, I want you to process some things here. I want you to understand that you are invited. And maybe some of you haven't decided to give your life to Jesus, that you haven't truly followed Jesus. You've been on the outskirts, and you've been waiting. Maybe today you just say, God, I'm trusting you, what Jesus did on the cross, maybe for the first time. When you come and get communion today, just say, God, I am accepting your invitation. For others of you, as as you're coming forward, maybe it's time that God is speaking to you and saying that, you know what, it's time for you to be invested. It's time for you to stop being on the sidelines, just coming and going through the motions. It's time for you to start being invested in what not only your local church is doing, but what I am doing in the world. God is writing a story, and he's inviting you to be a part of it. Will you be invested? For some of you, it's realizing that, you know what, I am invaluable, that God loves me more than I can ever imagine. And you need to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. For some of you, you need to come and repent because you don't think everyone is invaluable and you don't see people the way God sees them. And it's time for you to start seeing them the way God sees them. And finally, understanding you are an influencer and telling God on the way up man, I want to be an influencer for you. I want to love more than ever because that's what you're calling me to do. You want to be, make a difference in your sphere of influence. So as the worship team plays, would you come and get the elements?